by showcasing their professions, passions, and perspectives. I'm your host, Manthir Singh, a.k.a. The Net Nehung. Vaheguruji ka khalsa, Vaheguruji ki fateh. Vaheguruji ka khalsa, Vaheguruji ki fateh, Mandirji. Ravneet Kaur, welcome to the Net Nehung's Arena. Thank you. I've been waiting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you actually uh, um, got my attention because you shared my podcast and I started getting followers right after you shared it. And I was like, oh, I've got to <laughs> talk to her. <laughs> Usually it's girls that start getting a lot of followers when I share uh, photos with them. Yeah. But yeah. Mandiriji, I saw your podcast and I was just so impressed. Um, as I was just telling you, the branding and the whole concept. And, you know, we've got like sings, real sings sitting on the camera with <laughs> totally American accent. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, for my audience who is straight yeah. in Punjab, for them, it must be just like, my yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, maybe we can get into a little bit of that too, kind of give you my background. But before I do, I um, just want to point out you're from Sydney, Australia, or that's where you live now. Um, yes. And you are somewhat of a Bitcoin queen. You kind of are an expert at Bitcoin and you do these YouTube videos explaining Bitcoin and investing in Bitcoin in Punjabi. That's right. Why don't you give me a little bit of background about yourself? Like, where are you from originally? Are you born and raised in Sydney or, or yeah. give a little background of where you are and how you got to Bitcoin? Sure. So, um, look, I was born in Chandigarh in PGI hospital and I'm from a very heavy military background. So dad's in our BSF, Nana is in BSF army, mm -hmm. Dada is in army. So I was brought up in India in a few different military camps. And then in 2003, when I was 11, we came to Australia. So I did my high school here. Um, I was the black sheep of the family. I didn't go to college. I tried to do year 12 three times. I <laughs> didn't do it, but just because my heart was not in it, I just, right. I was just so pushed off studying at that point. I wanted to get out in the real world and just see like what's happening. It just didn't feel right to go to college, study for four years not knowing what I'm going to do in the future right. and have all these huge debt when I walk out looking for a job now just to pay that debt for the next right. few years. So it didn't resonate with me because I didn't want to go in medicine or engineering. The typical things that Indian families do. Yeah, I was never geared towards that. So um, I started doing, um, you know, sales because that's a really, really easy job to get if you don't have any... Um, skill set. And <laughs> well, look, I'm in real estate, so I totally understand. <laughs> yeah, if you have a gift of the gap. So um, yeah, look, slowly towards my career, I started getting into marketing. And then towards the end, I got heavy into tech. And I was working for American companies in Australia, you know, publicly listed billion dollar companies. Um, and they were software companies. They were actually making the product and being surrounded by geniuses, engineers, and innovation. Um, 
it really um, helped me find what I wanted to do, which was within the tech sector. Uh, 2017, you may remember, we had this huge crypto hype, Bitcoin hype, when each Bitcoin was 20K USD. So I happened to get really lucky. I got into crypto um, just two months before the massive hype. Well, when you say you got into, do you mean you got into the field or you started investing? I invested. I oh, bought okay. Bitcoin. Yeah. yeah, I put. I took the. I took the stock out from my um, the company that I was working with at the time, and I put that in Bitcoin. So I think mm. I put about ten k AUD, which may be about seven k USD, something like okay. that, because I just wanted to dabble. Within two months, that was fifty k AUD. Oh, wow. uh, so about I, I think forty two k USD, something like that. Yeah. I was blown away. I had wow. never seen such increase in such short amount of time. So it definitely got my attention. Right. <laughs> so then I started to learn. Um, so I, I quit my job because I could tell this was the future. I did a little bit of research and, um, What I really liked about Bitcoin is that apart from being a digital currency where anyone in the world can participate, you know, it's real equality. And this is this is actually a really interesting concept about equality, because I'm I'm assuming you're going to kind of get into a little bit of blockchain. But um, the equality thing is huge. Explain why, though, because I don't think people understand how regular money works compare you know to, um, then there's no way to contrast if you don't understand how regular money works then the equality side of bitcoin may not make sense to you yeah absolutely i mean to me what equality is about bitcoin is initially traditionally um any new opportunities that come out for example when internet came out or any new type of financial investments if we just mm. look at it from a financial investment perspective These opportunities have been reserved in the past for the top 1% or the elite circles, or if you speak in English, or if you're in tech or already a banker or in that industry. So these opportunities, uh, by the time they reach, you know, for example, Punjabis or anyone who doesn't speak in English and they don't live in these Western countries, it's already too late. It's already too expensive. It's already peaked. The hype's already gone up. So it's already reached potentially at that time of maximum price. Right. So the opportunity there is less now because people have already taken advantage of all the opportunity there is. And now there's literally crumbs left. Absolutely. And expensive crumbs as well Um, with, you know, not as high of a um, spike in terms of growth, more like long-term gradual growth. I see. Um, And we haven't actually globally seen the crypto boom yet. It hasn't happened. Um, Bitcoin was created in 2009 in the end, um, towards the end of the financial crisis that happened in the States. And it was as a result because people lost trust from banks, from governments. Um, Overnight, people lost money that was just sitting in their banks. And it's like, okay, if we can't trust our institutions, who can we trust? Yeah. We need to take the control back in our hands. Um, So that's how Bitcoin was created. Now, what I personally love about Bitcoin is it's truly decentralized nature. All right. No one knows who the creator of Bitcoin is. I don't know if you've come across that. Yeah, no, I know. It's all a mystery. There's suspicions, but it's a mystery. Yeah, but no one's cracked it. It could be a government. It could be a group of people. It could be cypher cypher funks. It could be anyone. And 
you know, if we go back to our Guru's teachings in Sikhism, <laughs> Guru Gobind Singh Ji Maharaj, he, ha- he had already implemented the notion of decentralization, decentralizing power by having Panch Pyare. That's very interesting, yeah. You know, and then if we go down to 80s and we look at um, the demand for, you know, sovereign Sikh state and we look at Sant Pindramaleji, again, part of resolu- um, Anantpur resolution was to decentralize power to safeguard minority rights and right. bully and everything, you know. So decentralization to me has always been the key. Right. to, uh, I guess, equality and, and gaining back your rights, your birthright that, um, you know, that we're born with, which is our right, our freedom, whatever it may be. So if we, where does power come from in the world? It's whoever's holding money. You know, yeah. money is power. So if that power is decentralized and no one has, the governments don't have the ability to shut Bitcoin down, for them to shut, they could, they can ban it but to execute that ban, they would have to monitor every single computer in the country. The cost right. of that is phenomenal. So Bitcoin Yeah, so part of what you're saying, though, with the decentralization is with Bitcoin, you have thousands or millions even computers that hold registers of records of what who owns what Bitcoin and what its value is and how it gets traded. And those computers all synchronize between each other using encrypted keys to make sure that um, it's it is a actual true um, uh, record that's being recorded, yeah. and it's happening millions of times. So even if somebody tried to cheat it somehow on one computer, there's a million computers out there that have the correct information and won't allow exactly. that change without the proper key. Yeah, well, for them to change, um, for them to tamper with any transactions, they would need to break the code they would need to go into the what we call smart contract um where the rules are already pre-coded and that's locked so you can't actually go in and manipulate bitcoin system or tamper with it um and because it's public ledger it's public data it's not hidden anyone can see it anyone can see the transactions and they can see how much amount is transferred and from what wallet address to what wallet address right okay you know, there's transparency, decentralization. And the best part is that you can, anyone with a smartphone can create a, a can create a wallet and buy Bitcoin or transfer Bitcoin to each other. So initially what we're going to see now in the next few years is the unbanked being banked, you know, in third what world do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? So... Let's take India, for example. When yeah. the demonetization happened, yeah. I think two years ago now, three years yeah, ago. two years ago, yeah. Yeah, I was there at the time, and I saw how chaotic the whole management of it was. I mean, okay, so let's not get into that. Yeah, yeah, but, that's, a, um, that's a whole other mess. <laughs> that's a whole another mess that we can talk of. We need a whole new uh, session on podcast <laughs> yeah. for that. Um, so when that happened... Um, What was required from the citizens was you go to the bank and you get your notes exchanged. And um, to get that, you need to have your Aadhaar card, which is a new type of, uh, in a very recent few years, um, identity card. And you go and get your money exchanged. That was a government-issued identity card, correct? That's right. That's right. Now, um, you can imagine how many people in the pind, in the gaol, 
a lot of don't have identity card. They don't have bank accounts. You've got women that have been saving money under their pillow for years from their abusive husbands. So they, the husband doesn't take the money and go gamble it away Mm. or she's saving it for her daughter's marriage, whatever it may be. That's become obsolete overnight. And she has no ID or nothing to prove the fact that she is who she is. She doesn't have a bank account. A lot of people don't have bank accounts. So that money has lost value overnight. Yeah, that's crazy. And we saw similar use cases like that. Like, you know, you've got migrants from Bangladesh. You get so many migrants, right? Right. And Nepal, they don't have bank accounts. They've lost, they're saving up. They've come to India just to earn money so they can send it back home or after two, three years, they return with that money. That money's become obsolete. So really it was, um, you know, it was just such an example of such a mess of a traditional style banking and and, and an example of what happens when you've got governments controlling money as opposed to a computer, a system where the fair rules are coded in and you can truly trust the system. Right. Right. Interesting. So once you have a Bitcoin, or, or maybe how do you get a Bitcoin? And then once right. you have it, what can you, what, what are you doing with it? Is- yeah, that's a good question. And that's a question I get asked quite a lot by my community. That's by the way, growing every day. And I'm just still Maharaj. Thank you for <laughs> Like the interest, the love, it's... I'm yeah, by the tr- way, make sure you send me all your links and everything. I'll make sure I put them in the description of this video. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's like the first time, I'm well, in this lifetime, the first time I'm connecting with Punjab. And mm. to me, it's just amazing, you know. Um, so how do you get a Bitcoin? There's two different ways. Um, either um, if you don't have a Bitcoin um, you can, and you have to, you want to acquire Bitcoin from the, from scratch, you can either buy Bitcoin and that would be via your, what we call fiat currency. So your local currency, you can sign up to a local exchange. Um, you can sign up to a P2P, um, exchange, which means that instead of buying from a centralized exchange, you're buying from another person or, an, um, yeah, from another person on a decentralized, um, uh, exchange. these exchanges and the P2P, they're, they're kind of brokering the purchase. Is that what they're doing? Yes. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> Okay. Um, P2P is more like escrow service. It's okay. more decentralized, right. so they'll hold it escrow, but they won't actually hold, um, it's not centralized. They're not holding the Bitcoin and selling it to you. You're not buying it from the exchange. Right. You're buying okay. it from someone else. Um, so that's one way. Or the second way to acquire a Bitcoin is if someone sends you Bitcoin. Mm. Now, as an example, what I'm doing right now in Punjab, I've... Um, I've started a YouTube channel and um, my goal here is to bridge the gap. I, I feel this is the first message I had put out when I launched my channel is that language should not be a barrier for any community mm. um, and it's progress. And if we date back to 1800s, Sikh empire, we were one of the most powerful, in a, in a sh- very short amount of time, one of the most powerful empires in the world. We had French generals uh, yeah. leaving their armies and coming and, and fighting for Maharaja Ranjit Singh. Yeah. You know, our women were the most intelligent and um, literate and highly educated women. So it's phenomenal, like, you know, from what we were. It's, it's like we have the potential to not only get back there, 
but even go higher because sure, we've, yeah. we've had the taste of it. So um, as the world now, where the world is going, um, I feel that we're headed towards a financial crash globally with COVID, economies are not working, money's not being generated. And who's really suffering? I mean, at least we sitting in Western countries have some aid from the government, you know, yeah. but if you think about in India, like how many people are dying? daily um mm. it's just a mess so we're headed towards a financial crash which then leads to a financial reset and um being myself being in the industry in crypto for three years now um and being in those circles there's a lot of talks now and we're already starting to see in the in the news as well a lot of countries in the new year will start to bring cryptocurrencies and regulating them. Interesting. Okay. Because there's a fear as well now of touching money, which is the number one way to, um, yeah, spread any kind of disease, anything. Yeah. yeah and we've just gone through the biggest shock of our lives with right. COVID, you know? So, um, so we're going to see a proper boom, not starting from next year a huge boom starting from next year that will then continue on as more and more countries come in and adopt cryptocurrencies and blockchain. Um, so my goal here is to bridge the gap for Punjabis. And I could have done it in English because everyone in India wants to speak in English. You know, mm. that's the cool thing. And even now they, there's so many YouTubers there that are trying to educate people on crypto but it's more everyone speaks in English, you know. Right. So what happens to the people, truly the people that Bitcoin can help? Bitcoin can help people like you and me make a lot of money. But for people from low socioeconomic backgrounds, that's the key to their freedom. Right. Right. So Interesting. I, so, I, so in my mind, I'm like, Amritsar is what I want to target. I want to be speaking in Punjabi and, you know, explaining to them. I want to target Batila. I want to target Patiala, Ludhiana. Yeah. I don't want to target Chandigarh and Mahali. I mean, of course, I'm going to target the whole of Punjab. But my goal is like, how do I get into the pins? Yeah, how do you get it that? to where people, where it'll affect the people the most? But there's another problem. I, I don't understand. Like, can how do you have a Bitcoin or how do you use a Bitcoin if you don't have a computer or if you don't have a phone? But I guess almost everybody's got a phone now. Yeah, cool. you would need a phone. You yeah. would do and like, even if let's say you don't have a phone, um, you, somehow you had a phone and now you don't for some reason. But the thing is, you can also store your Bitcoin in hard wallet, which is a hardware wallet. looks like a USB. Oh, and that's okay. if you're truly, so there's different types of wallets. And that's if you're truly, you truly want to take responsibility and, you know, you don't want to share that responsibility with the exchange that you're holding your money in or some app because I it see. could get hacked. So, But the um, problem with a hard wallet then is that it could get lost. Or you can get attacked get in India and someone can somebody physically take, take, it. take it off you. Right, right. Okay, I understand. I get so, it. That's why you wouldn't tell anyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't tell that's anybody. That's why you wouldn't go and flex it like you flex your new cars and bikes. and. Yeah, here's my <laughs> Amex Platinum card. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, I yeah, usually yeah. like that. But what can you do with Bitcoin? Look, after 2017 boom, um, it created, uh, there was already a market for Bitcoin. There was already a community and ecosystem, but that just took it to a whole new level because Bitcoin was finally not mainstream adopted, but it reached mainstream media okay. and people knew about it. That's how I found out about it. Um, so there is 
thousands of um, uh, um, businesses and services and online stores and even physical stores that accept Bitcoin as payment. So you can use Bitcoin um, to make payments. Now in Bitcoin industry, we've got all sorts of service providers, right? We've got marketers who are just working with crypto projects. We've got ICOs, we've got advisors, consultants, whoever. And it's very normal to pay them in Bitcoin or Ethereum or Litecoin. Okay. So we use it as currency. However, now we went through a crash, um, especially 2019. Bitcoin's price had not only dropped, it remained um, around 10K. Okay. So um, people stopped, obviously, using Bitcoin as a currency to spend right now. And really, this is what the... Um, the um, trend has been is to accumulate Bitcoin as much as you can right now. Um, no one wants to, because it's scarce. It's right. limited. Okay. Unlike right. your normal fiat currency, which is unlimited and government can print as many notes as they want. This is like internet gold. Right, so because they, Bitcoin has to be mined, what they call mining. That's right. Correct? So there's only a limited number of Bitcoins that get created that's and, right. And, and it's not easy to mine, even though it is computers just running. They're doing uh, some kind of equations, problem solving or whatever. Right. They, they generate these Bitcoins after solving these problems. But it takes a lot of CPU power and memory. And then these Bitcoin mines, someone could have a whole room just full of all these servers that are running, generating this Bitcoin. But even still, you're talking about a limited number. And that determines its value because of its scarcity. Exactly, exactly. And when it comes to Bitcoin, you're, you're right, Manduji, when it comes to Bitcoin mining, it's become extremely hard because it's extremely competitive now. Hmm. What's happened in 2011, you could have one computer and you could be, so you're solving all these equations, you're giving up your computer storage, your computer power and your electricity. And in return, you're being rewarded with Bitcoin, but you have to catch it. Um, so it doesn't mean every time you solve an equation, you get Bitcoin, you know, okay. you have to catch it. So it's very random. Um, now what's happened ever since China has set up Bitcoin mining farms. I'm talking farms with thousands and thousands, hundreds and thousands of dedicated computers just for Bitcoin mining. Oh, really? Second top country is Russia and third top country is Malaysia. How are you going to compete with that when you've got one computer? Because right. that's, that's a question I get asked a lot, like in Punjab, you know, because uh, like, our people are so savvy. They're so entrepreneurial. Yeah. They just want, they just need the opportunity. And so, you know, they're asking me, how do you do Bitcoin mining? Like, can we set it up? I've got two, three computers, you know, we can get more. And I'm like, yeah, but we have, like, if you set up a farm, it's worth it. Because then you can hedge it. Then you're not just mining Bitcoin. You can mine other currencies too. I see. You know, but if you only have one computer, it's going to cost you a lot. And when are you going to even make that money back? It's it's totally random. It's a chance. Right. right. So it, it may not be worth it to try to start up getting into mining Bitcoin. It's better off to just earn it other ways, trade for it or or provide yeah. services and get paid that way or or as a gift. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're absolutely. Talking about ten thousand. What, what is the value of one Bitcoin? Uh, ten thousand, just over ten thousand USD mm -hmm. right now. Yeah, it keeps fluctuating from ten thousand two hundred to ten thousand seven hundred. So um, how does so that has it? What if you what if you did some kind of service that's worth two thousand? Are you getting 
partial Bitcoin? That's a great point. Yes, you're getting Satoshis. So we've got cents for dollars. You've got Satoshis for Bitcoin. So you would get, so it's very easy to calculate. You would just go and Google and type in um, USD to BTC and Google will bring up a calculator right then and there. And you just type in 2000 USD and it will bring up something like 0.13 BTC. Right, I see. Something like that. I mean, that's just a random number, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah. You give you, yeah, it's it is a yeah. fraction. I see. Okay, so you had this idea that you want to bring this to the pin. Do you want to bring it to Punjabi people that are 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 don't have the same resources and success as others, and it gives them a chance to kind of be on an equal playing field um, with this kind of currency and investment? And there's and so much easy. money in Punjab. You know, we're 2% of the population and we're one of the most affluent. The problem is we're spending that money to go to, we're spending that money to pay for IELTS exams and to pay to Asians so we can get the hell out of Punjab. And to an extent, I don't blame that. I don't blame Punjabis mm. leaving Punjab. Like it's easy for me to say, sit in Australia and say, oh, look at everyone wanting to leave Punjab when my family did the same. Right, right. <laughs> You know, and the current, you know, political um, state there, there's not job opportunities. There's like, you know, there's a systematic attack. So how, like, either you fight the system, like, or, you know, you flee and you can't blame people for wanting to survive. Yeah. No, but I like the idea, the way you presented it earlier too, tying it back to the gurus. When you think about Gurbani, what what the gurus did, the information they gave us, right? This is information that wasn't readily available to the masses. If you weren't the right caste, you couldn't hear some of these things. If you were not the right religion, like Islam and Aurangzeb has rules about who can study, who can do rag, kirtan, or music and rags. And the guru is saying, no, everybody can do it. Anybody can learn it. You want to, you want to know about... Um, creation and the creator i'm giving it to everybody here it is this is your nickname this is this is your grunt this is your guru and that really what the guru was doing was decentralizing information making it available to everybody and even the structure of the cities the guru created anandpur sahib and everything guru gobind singh's darbar he was calling in the most intellectual people of the time experts in agriculture and engineering and architecture and music and art and all these things, calling them in and having them teach and write and explain the most intricate details of all kinds of different information. And when you think about it that way, it makes sense that currency, which is very nationalized everywhere you go, right? It always has pictures of the people they worship. It always has certain sayings and it tries to bind people to a certain boundary to say, hey, you belong to this nation and this is our currency. Decentralizing that currency is making it accessible to everybody and makes everybody feel like they're part of something. So when I'm thinking about it in that sense, it sounds completely in line with the way the gurus would think about how we transact with each other, how we, it's a transparent ledger. Everybody knows who gave money to what, but I do have a question about that. I, I'm, I know I kind of just took a tangent there. I hear a lot of people say that um, cryptocurrency in general can be used by drug dealers and arms dealers and people who commit crimes um, 
I don't really understand how do they get away with that if there's these kinds of registers and what what is the benefit of them to operate this way versus using the old money? I don't get it. Yeah, no, that's that's a really good point. And I was just thinking about that while you were saying it and then you said it and I was like, great. <laughs> um, look, first of all, uh, crypto, especially in India, has uh, Bitcoin has a really negative, uh, it, it has a stigma to it that it's dark money. It's used by, it's uh, dark consciousness behind this money. Um, you know, it's used for trafficking on Silk Road, for, in, for on the dark web, all the crimes, horrible crimes you can imagine, Bitcoin is used as a currency. But if you put that into perspective, our normal fiat currency is used 10 times more on daily basis right. to, for scams by the institutions. Yeah, yeah. You know, Bitcoin is, uh, uh, you know, it's just one of the many methods. If we didn't have Bitcoin, the crime is not going to stop. They will still use other methods. The thing with Bitcoin is that it is anonymous transactions. Money is not going from your bank account when you're transferring. Because right now, if you're to transfer money, it has to go to your bank account or it has to be cash. So to be able to transfer money digitally and it be anonymous. Now, when I say anonymous, governments have figured out ways to um, still um, trace who is, um, you know, moving what money in Bitcoin. If, okay. So they can track it if they want. They don't. They only do it when it's a national security threat. I see. They don't. To, to do every drug dealer, every it's the amount of resources they would need for these, in their eyes, petty crimes. Yeah. I mean, a crime is a crime, no right. matter how big or small. But I personally also feel that governments don't really have the best intention to like get rid of all the crime and just you know make it nirvana and make it a heaven on the planet and compassionate kingdom it's not what is the priority yeah they they need enough crime to keep them in power (laughs) yes exactly and i mean in the end of the day like you know these mafias and stuff like i don't want to go too deep into it but they you know drugs are managed by the government sure sure. you know so it's, it's a market for them. And um, look, when Bitcoin started, it got hijacked. So it, this is going in a little bit more, uh, more spiritual notion, but the Bitcoin was created by the light for purposes of decentralization, for the purpose of equality. And it doesn't have a true, the reason why we don't know the founder is to keep it truly decentralized. Otherwise people will start praying to that person as a God. Oh, sure. that person okay. is so good. Or, oh, you know, like as humans, we, you yeah, know, yeah, we, we do that. You're right. Keep it decentralized. This is why there's no founder. So what happened is, um, you know, obviously such a neat concept um, didn't get adoption straight away. It got in the hands of the dark straight away. And it started being used for dark purposes. Because they, the they saw the value faster than most of us. Yeah, exactly. And um, if you look at Silk Road, if you've heard about Silk Road, Silk Road was created for purposes of being a true free market, you know, where nothing is regulated, um, where we can, in a a normal world before Dunyavi laws came into practice, we're able to sell and buy anything, no matter how good or bad. And you have this... um, privacy of your transactions, which you don't right now with your banks, they know exactly what you're buying and selling. There's no privacy in your, you know, what you're buying and selling. So to create a true free market 
uh, with true free speech, Silk Road was created. Hmm. Now that got quickly hijacked because it was such a, it was like a marketplace. And for the criminals, it was a great, before it could reach the masses, it reached the criminals. For them, it was great because now they have a marketplace they can use to sell whatever they want. And Silk Road um, founder was, uh, you know, jailed for that. I'm I'm not sure if he's still in jail. I think he is. Um, And ever since then, crypto, Bitcoin specifically, has had that stigma that it's dark money, but it's not. And in fact, the more it reaches mainstream, the more, uh, you know, we're able to take that darkness away. So do you have uh, any success stories um, from Punjab of people that have, seen your videos or have been able to implement uh, starting to invest in Bitcoin or or anything like that? Yeah, um, look, it's still very new because what happens is um, we're talking about money, a whole new concept, and you've got a girl sitting in front of you talking about (laughs) something that is, you know, I get comments a lot of the times like, you know, because they're comparing me to Priyanka Chopra selling some pyramid scheme or, you know, so, uh, you know, uh, but the thing is, because this is the power of truth. I'm not here. I'm not making money from this. Um, I'm just, uh, because I'm wanting to truly help and I'm in my inbox all day, I've got messages and I'm responding to people talking one-on-one. So people are starting to see that. And now that we're doing live events, I've got, I've got other sings now as, you know, you, you know, Prabhjit Singh as well. I've got yeah. other sings now on my platform who are also wanting to do the seva. So now people are starting to see like, this is real. Like they're, they're NRIs are really wanting to help us. Because right, right. they don't have that. There's a stigma with NRIs or bad back in comfortable life. You know, they're living sure. such comfortable life and they're instigating, you know, um, ideas and stuff here and we have to book though. Right, so, right. you know, so it's, I'm trying to change It's, it's that a very mind. difficult thing because um, on one hand, we can see that um, they need the help. We can see where, because we can contrast, right? What we have, what they have. And even it's difficult because even the things that we get educated on, sometimes it's difficult to translate that in a way that's uh, easy to understand for yeah. someone who doesn't, hasn't even seen how it can be. So I can see that you'd have a difficult. That's why I was curious. Like, did you have any success stories yet? But it sounds like you've made connections. You're making yeah, connections uh, with people. But there are a few success stories. Um, I mean, in terms of buying crypto, the thing is the market, since I've started talking and really since I've been talking about crypto, I get messages every day. And predominantly, I was thinking I was going to get messages from Sings in Punjab. I'm getting messages from Sings in Canada, in states that are like students that still need information in Punjabi. You know, they're reaching out to me. I've got women reaching out to me and I'm just blown away. Like I've got Bibian Mm -hmm. going um, uh, because they're seeing a woman talk. Yeah. So I'm creating a market there for women. No, but, I think you even mentioned a little bit earlier about like in Punjab, a woman who may be victim of domestic abuse, abuse or maybe has been feeling trapped all her life that she hasn't been able to go get the life she wants. Um, having another woman who seems empowered and who seems to know what she's talking about can be a, a, a sign of hope and all of a sudden you can build that trust and that rapport so that person can maybe get out of their difficult situation. They could see this as a way out. So I can see there's a tremendous scope here of people that this can help. It's just 
it is so new. It is so, um, you know, it has that, like you said, it has a certain stigma to it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think, um, the more people learn about it, the better it's going to be. And the fact that you do it in Punjabi, um, shows that there's an audience that they don't, they don't know what they don't know yet. And you're you're bringing them this stuff to open their eyes to it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, 95% of the responses I get, people are just blown away. They're like, who does that? Like, who's help? Like, you know, you're helping us. This is amazing. Thank you so much for the saver. And what I've started doing now, the best way to get someone into crypto is to send them crypto, to send them Bitcoin. And like I, so what I do every now and then is I'm like, all right, I'm giving a, I'm setting, helping people set up. I've started a community, a group now, a Facebook yeah. group that's attached to my fan page to keep the conversations going every day. And I'll add you to it um, in the end as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so and send me some Bitcoin. Uh, <laughs> see, when I'm sending 1000 rupees, that's $20. <laughs> hey. Actually, no, I can send you $20. <laughs> of course. But, you know, I'll say that, look, I'll list out the steps in Punjabi. I'll say go uh, to this website. It's an Indian exchange. Download Mm. um, their wallet and um, um, go to your, um, you know, this page and then you will see your wallet address. Send that to me. So I'll have people then commenting with their wallet addresses and I'll be like, you get 1,000 rupees, you get 1,000 rupees, everyone gets one. So I'll just give out 1,000 rupees and now they're in crypto. Yeah, that's awesome. Now they're watching it every day. And now they're like, Okay, madam, how can I, how can I buy you? And I'm like, just collect your bank account. And, you know, they're, they're, they're uh, there. But I have to tell you, um, in crypto, we have a concept of airdrops. Because okay. crypto is all about community. And yeah. what airdrop is that every time a new cryptocurrency is launched, usually in the beginning, before it's even launched, to create hype, what the founders or the team does, they give away free tokens. three coins and and to you know so that way you've got like people taking that and now they're paying attention because they've got a wallet with your company's you know shares coins in it so now they're paying attention and it doesn't cost the company anything because they're just giving away coins they've got like a one billion max you know so it's like a little drop in the ocean for them so usually they do it before the project is launched and usually the coins have no value right So what happened recently is there is a new decentralized um, exchange called Uniswap and it's making waves like uh, it's peer-to-peer and all the new coins that are coming, they usually hit P2P decentralization exchanges first um, because they don't have to get listed. You're buying from either straight from the company or someone else as opposed to an exchange. So it's, uh, it's, it's taken off really, really well. Now what Uniswap did out of the blue, they said anyone, and this was only done two weeks ago, anyone who has had their uh, account with us for before 1st September, you're allocated to 400 unique coins. At the time, each coin is $3.50, oh, wow. which later went on to $8 because then everyone, people actually started buying more and more coins. So they launched the product first, created right. a community, and then they launched the <clears> coins. So I've got few, I've got, uh, at that point, I only had one or two people in India that I had set up on Uniswap. My video editor, because I'd speak to him on a daily basis, yeah. and one other guy. And I see this and I'm like, 
I call him straight away because I don't know how long this offer is available for. I claimed mine. I've got 2,000 uh, 2, USD now in my wallet. I have nowhere. Money right. that I didn't. It's free money. Yeah. I tell him to claim it. In his bank account, in his wallet, he's got one lakh now. Oh, wow. One lakh for someone is three months salary. Yeah, yeah. And in, it's very in significant. times right now, people are barely making any. And now that's gone to two lakhs. And oh, wow. it nearly had touched three lakhs. So for him free money he was blown away so wait real quick let me just ask you something though because this is not like a stock right it's not like uh if it loses value you might lose money out of your pocket it's it's unless you had paid at the higher price if you have if someone gave you a bitcoin and it loses value you you're just back to nothing you don't owe money Unless you spent your money to buy it. Yeah, unless you spent your money to buy it. But if you've been given like these um, 400 coins that were given, if they lost their value now, it's no loss to you. Yeah. No, no, but he's also able to cash that straight away. Oh, right. Okay, yeah. Yeah, he's able to cash that straight away. He's able to then convert those coins he's received into Ethereum and then convert Ethereum into Bitcoin and send and then send Bitcoin to his other wallet that's connected to his bank account. So there's you know trans conversions. And and he's got two likes in his bank account. Wow, that's incredible. But, But what I said to him is don't cash it out, use that now to put into other coins and start trading. You've got like Maharaj has given you. Yeah, yeah, don't spend it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Like, because when you have money, it just, you know, it just goes away. It just slides away. Oh, of um, course. But, but you've brought something really interesting. And one thing I want to say is, and it's like, there was a recent article on it as well. Bitcoin has more chances of reaching 100K USD per Bitcoin than Bitcoin ever going to zero dollars. I see, right. Because... Initially, the amount of, uh, you have what's called these anonymous whales. Whale is someone who's an investor who's put like millions and millions of dollars. You know, it's a proper whale. And we've got whales that are, and we have Bitcoin supporters that are like truly interested in the liberty and freedom of people. Hmm. They have put so much money to create a support level of Bitcoin and, and it'll never zero. It'll never go to zero because they're supporting. And the amount of bitcoins that have been lost as well that can never be recovered. Mm. That money, you know, is never going to be cashed out. So you've got this base support that's there. It's never going to drop below that. So that's why it can never go to zero dollars. Wow, it's pretty incredible. Now, I've seen on your Facebook you seem to travel a lot or you used to, you used to travel a lot all around the world. I don't know if that was while you were still doing Bitcoin or if that was before Bitcoin, but. It was by Bitcoin. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. So why don't you talk a little bit about that? Because you got to see a lot of the world. Um, You saw people all over, but somehow you were still inspired to go back and work in Punjab. So why don't you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, when I um, quit my job because I made you know a bit of money to allow me to now do something with my life to yeah, and we're, you're, right now you're what twenty eight twenty nine years old something 28, like twenty eight twenty eight yes. years old yeah 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 so you're fairly young doing all of this stuff yeah but you know in contrast because I didn't go to college I feel like I've been working I've been working full time oh. since since I've been nineteen yeah. 
So I've been in the workforce, you know, since a young age. Um, so it's ten, nearly 10 years now. Um, so when I um, got this money, I was like, okay, I can do something now. And I was so done by nine to five by that time. It was like literally sucking the soul out of yeah. it. I was looking at work as an incubus, sucking the soul out. <laughs> I think we it all was, do. I think we all think of nine to five jobs like that. <laughs> But it's not normal. And that's a whole different topic, but it's not normal. It's systematic oppression. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with you. Yeah. So anyway, um, what, four weeks holidays a year? Like, and it's meant to, like, you know, um, I want to do four weeks work a year. No, not that, not that (laughs) less. But um, so look, I made all this money and I'm like, okay, I want to now learn about crypto because I was just energetically really pulled towards um, this new industry. Being in Australia was not enough to learn about it because Australia was so far and we're so cut off from the world. And um, to go on the internet and learn about crypto, it's just like you can read it, but the definitions don't make any sense. Cause it's okay. so new. Right. You need to like be talking to people in a daily discussion. And where do I find those people? Yeah. There were people in Sydney, but I just, um, you know, so I saw on my Facebook out of the blue a few weeks later, this ad comes up in Singapore. There is a blockchain event happening and I'm like, okay, I need to go. I need to go in Singapore. Mm-hmm. Singapore is not that far. So Booked my flight, went to Singapore, attended this event, and whoa, I was just like, okay, I'm so glad I came because whatever I thought about Bitcoin, whatever my limited knowledge was, it's not that at all. It's so much more than that. I'm looking, I I I wasn't even thinking about like blockchain that much at the time. I was just thinking about Bitcoin currency. And I'm being, um, I'm speaking to startups. Say It was like a trade show. You had all these startups with their stall and they're looking for investment and what they're. um, Yeah, like a big convention. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. exactly. And then you've got like a panel with speakers and multiple workshops. So, you know, I'm speaking to all of them and I'm just blown away. Websites decentralized, social media decentralized, you know, supply chain decentralized. And I'm just like, instead of on the internet learning about these like different use cases, I'm talking to people who are pitching me what their product is. They thought I was an investor. (laughs) I wasn't at the time. Now I am. So, you know, it was just fascinating. So I'm like, okay, I need to attend more events. And at the time, crypto community was quite small. So no matter what country you go to, it's the same crowd that kind of moves. You know, you've got the same crowd globally moving. The same people are moving through these things, right? Yeah, they're called crypto nomads. So they're traveling all the time and, you know, sponsored by Bitcoin. So um, I started traveling. It just felt right that I need to um, go wherever the crypto crowd is going and just um, go with the crowd. So then South Korea, I went there three times, like every month I was going back um, Mm -hmm. in 2018. Uh, Singapore, Hong Kong, um, San Fran, and traveling to all the uh, Philippines, sorry, and then traveling to all these different countries, um, you know, Korea, Jesus Christ, they are... They're really, really like smart and they're yeah. embracing blockchain. I'm yeah. blown away. I'm like, hail to South Koreans, hail dictatorship works. Yes, no, that's yeah. no, 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 it's not, not even that. It's you're right though. South Korea, Singapore, Malaysia, these countries are pushing technology in every facet of their life, right? Their medical technology is surpassing everybody else in the world. They're they're embracing cryptocurrencies. 
ahead of everybody else. Um, part of it is these are small, smart countries. So it's easy for them to kind of maneuver these things on a large scale because, the, because of their size. But these are absolutely the cutting edge countries when it comes to technology. But what inspired me about South Korea is that less than 1% of people speak in English and they're oh, leading wow. in technology. All their content is in Korean. It's all Korean. Wow. They're not relying on English language. Yeah. And relying on innovations to take place and then teaching. They're creating their own hubs. You walk down the street in Seoul, every second building, new blockchain center opening coming soon. Mm-hmm. You know, so maybe the government is also incentivizing in these countries, but it's really the people that are taking ownership and just like, you know, let's just do it as a community. Let's just get yeah. it done. So I was blown away by that concept. Uh, you know, for me, traditionally, it was like, okay, Silicon Valley, English speaking, success. Right, growth. right, right. Kind you of stereotype, innovate. yeah. Of yeah, it it's, be, yeah. that just, you know, blew me away. And I mean, still in like Malaysia, uh, Malaysia, Singapore, um, Philippines, they still speak English. Right. Their content is not in there. But Korea and Japan, the most advanced, uh, you know, crypto markets, creating content in their own language. Their people are not having to. And it's so hard for Western countries to like, like Western startups, they're trying to, and there's so much money in these markets. Investors are loaded. So mm. they're trying to, you know, like massage the investors. Like, how can we, um, you know, they like it's. They want to crack in, but they they're they're there's a they're doing everything in Korean. They're yeah. not yeah. And so it's like a reminder. It's kind of protecting of their own market. It's protecting their own market this way. Yeah, and like especially when I'm in South Korea, I see like you know these investors like, and they're surrounded by all these like you know like startup founders, these like you know Caucasian males. Um, you know, like anyone you can imagine, traditionally the roles are the other way around and they're like yeah. trying to get time with these Korean investors. They're trying to like, you know, and these, so it reminded me of Sikh Empire and like how everyone from around the world was coming to our empire. Yeah. So I'm like, how is that not possible? It's just, it just needs one person to go ahead and create the platform. Other people will join. And yeah. that's what happened. I've got like, you know, every few days I've got like a sing from state to someone. We love what you're doing. How can, how can I help? Yeah. It's amazing. So you just like one person needs to create a platform and people will come in. So look, I traveled a lot and um, it was important for me to travel because this information is still limited and okay. it need, it's very in person. It's very like um, in the crypto community. Yeah. Um, and events help with networking and meeting powerful people in the industry. So then I came back to Australia around end of 2018. I started running my own community, Oz Loves Crypto. And I was hosting events where um, start, crypto startups from all around the world were coming to Australia to meet the Australian community and the investors. Um, but that died out very quickly because that was the end of um, the boom and we were headed, the crypto was crashing That's at that time. That's when crypto was crashing, yeah, okay. No one wanted to spend you said money. Bitcoin went from like, what, 30,000 to 10,000? Something it like went that. from 3,900 USD to 20,000 USD, and then it dropped back to seven, 8,000. I see. You had people that bought Bitcoin when it was 18K. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And they're still waiting. You yeah. Know? <laughs> but it will. Eventually, it will. Oh, next year. Yeah. Next, oh. Which is why I've, I've like, okay, now I'm full-time doing Seva of this. Because next year, we're going to see mid-year, we're going to see the biggest boom we've ever seen 
Okay. Because it takes, it's all a ripple effect. It takes like one news to come out, positive news. It takes them a few weeks, few months. Like you'll see a spike straight away. But then for the correction to happen, spike yeah. is the hype. But when it drops back, it usually won't drop, drop back to where it started from. It'll be higher than that. And that's market correcting itself. You've got a whole new support level now, you know. But also with crypto, majority of the investors are unqualified. They've, they've not bought Bitcoin before, so they don't understand how investor psychology works. So they put in 1,000 rupees, for example, or $1,000. The market shifts a little bit. It goes down. They get eight hundred dollars. Yeah. It becomes yeah, they, and they, out. they no. cash it out. Yeah, yeah, and it's a ripple effect. And because majority of the investors that are new, they don't know investor psychology. They they panic. The whole market panics. So that's how it works when they hype. It's a panic buy. Quickly, let's buy before. Yeah. You know, and then panic sell works the same way. So people um, lose a lot of money that way. Yeah, you know, I um, I've been doing real estate since two thousand three. Okay, I used to be IT. I used to work in IT, a software engineer, and then. Um, got into real estate, <clears throat> but uh, I worked a lot with the banks and the foreclosures all before the 2008 crash. And then um, I saw everything happening. And then from 2008 to 2012, everything was pretty bad. And I remember I was talking to um, uh, Indian lady who used to work at the bank. She used to talk to me a lot because she would see me and she would get happy or whatever. So I would talk, chat with her a little bit. And one day she tells me, she goes, yeah, we're thinking of selling our house. You know, this is in the middle of the crisis. And I was like, oh, really? Well, how come? And she goes, well, we've lost so much money. I said, what do you mean? She goes, well, we bought the house for 300000 And now it's only worth two hundred, And we don't want to lose any more money. I was like, you're not going to lose the money until you sell it. Exactly. If you just stick with it, our, this is a, we're in the middle of a crisis. It'll all come out on the other side. We'll be fine long term. So if you can afford your house, do not sell it. Why would you want? And she was nervous. She was like, well, we don't know how low it's going to go. And I was like, it doesn't matter. Do not lose your house. Hold on to your house. But it was hard for people to understand. They all had that mentality of, oh, if I'm losing all this value in my house, I might as well just walk away or I might as well just sell it now and take my losses now. It's like, no, that's exactly the opposite of what you want to do. Sit tight. 100%. Absolutely. And that's one of the things that Prabhji um, speaks about really well. That's where like lack of education is. Like if you don't know how the economies work, if you don't know in, uh, historically um, what are the scarce assets that have right. performed and what are some of the scarce assets that will always continue to perform regardless of losing value up and down like off your portfolio yeah. in the short term um you know that knowledge really helps and that's where he does a really really good job he talks about like how when the vikings i think um invaded france or something like that that was 1000 years ago and they bought all these like you know they have all these houses and 1000 years down the track that's legacy now those mm. how, those families still own those massive acreages of houses and now they're worth millions and millions of dollars wow. yeah you know yeah. um i got to have i got to get prabjit on he said he would come on so i got to make sure i get him on Are these he only I, does podcasts in punjabi now <laughs> only punjabi <laughs> <laughs> oh no he's loving it he's he's so smart but he's um Initially, when we did our first podcast, everyone was like really nervous because they hadn't speak, spoken about these complex concepts in Punjabi before. Right. And I had a bit of a head start because I had already been doing pre-recorded videos. And I mean, it was a learning curve for me as well. But doing yeah. pre-recorded versus speaking live is very different. Yeah. 
and everyone was so nervous, you yeah. know. And then once we did it and the event was over, we were all like, oh, my God. Like, it was just <laughs> so exciting. It was creating history. Yeah. You know, I want to create new role models. That, is that that's the one you just did like a few weeks ago, like three, four weeks ago. Is that right? Yeah, so we've done three so yeah, far. Yeah, I watched a little bit of that. I actually watched a little bit of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was and, when I realized uh, that you and Prabhjit were connected because I, I was friends with you on Facebook separate. And Prabhjit yeah. is here locally for me. I know his dad yeah. really well. His dad is on the security team at the Gurdwara with me. So, um, yeah. So when I saw I was like, hey, that's, that's Prabhjit from here. And then I saw you and I was like, oh, wow, they're talking about this. So I listened for a little while. It was very good. I, and that's what kind of opened my eyes to it. I thought... You know, there's something more to this. And I never had put it into the context of that sovereignty, the independence, the um, thinking about it as decentralized in the same way that we think about information and things like that, Sikhi-wise. And, yeah, and uh, no one can take your money away from you. Yeah, that's and that's really, really important. That falls in line with a lot of our philosophies. But, you know, that also made me wonder, too, um, about your background a little bit. Like, I... I know that you are very much into like Sikh history and I see that I see you write very supportive of a lot of Sikh causes and things like that. Um, what is your story Sikhi wise? How, have you always been in a Sikh family doing, you know, like and involved in Sikhi things or is that something you grew into later? I'm, if I were to guess, it seemed like you around the time you got into Bitcoin, seems like you got maybe more into Sikhi than Something maybe? Yeah, I mean, it was hookum, hmm. and when the hookum came, I, you know, everything just like the universe is like, all right, stop being a white girl now. <laughs> <laughs> um, become who you are. Step into your true self, and and it's still work in progress. Um, we all are, right? We all are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I grew up in a fairly moderate, uh, modern Sikh family. Um, every now and then my parents would go through phases of doing, okay, we're going to do part. We're going to do it every day. And then for months, years, you know, it, it wouldn't be touched. But very, like, fairly, like, um, so my parents are, like, heavily, I'm going to be very careful with my words. <laughs> Indian. <laughs> programmed. Okay. <laughs> I mean, but it's, you know, it's not their fault. That generation, like it's their in, culture, right? They're they're living their culture. Yeah. But that generation was hit the most in India. Mm. That gen, if you're not in Punjab, especially if you're in the military family, mm. that generation was hit and heavily programmed the most. So you know, uh, very national, uh, you know, very like Jahan, you know, the, right. the, the, the all the whole charade. <laughs> you said it, not me. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. You don't have to cut it out. It's fine. Same times, man. It's fine. It's fine. So, um, no, they, 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 I hope they, they didn't vote for Modi, though. Did they? Sorry? I hope they didn't vote for Modi, though. Well, they didn't vote because they can't vote. Um, oh, you know, okay. They were citizens here. But if oh, they, you're citizens in Australia choice, now. Yeah. No, but if they had a choice, they would. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Which is another whole, you know. Well, that's a whole other thing. It's fine. So um, uh, my brother went through the Jagrata first. He, um, 2017, starting from 2016, but 2017, I had moved back to my parents' house because I was living five years um, uh, in the city. So working was easy for me. And like I said, I was like a Gora, like white yeah. kid, you know, separate yeah. from parents, living my own life, partying, drinking. Like there was no... Um, 
hijab towards Sikhi. When I was 15, I used to play gatka and I really enjoyed that in the Gurdwara oh. and I was good at it. I was really good at it. Yeah. And, but you know, it was the, um, I just felt pressured. Like, okay, if I'm playing gatka, now I can't cut my hair. And it was kind of like, you know, because everyone else is kids as well, right? We're all kids yeah. and it's always work in progress. So they're looking at me like, you're playing gatka, now you need to stop cutting your hair, now you need to do these things. So I pulled myself away from it. And then when I pulled myself from away from my home and I moved out, it was completely detached. And then I was like wild canon. I was free to do whatever, you know, come right. home, whatever time, parents aren't. So... Um, uh, and I always saw Sikhi, like the whole religion, the ideology, because I didn't know anything about it. I saw it as oppressive. I saw it as patriarchal because I didn't know anything about it. Right. And um, I, I just because of my um, uh, interaction with the in my sort of Gatka time. Yeah. So then um, I moved back home. And during the same time, my brother was going to uh, a massive Jagrata. He had started researching what happened in the 84. He had started researching Guru's um, teachings. And I will never stop talking about it, like the, the hard time, and I'll own up to it, the hard time my family, including me, gave him. Mm. And he stood alone. He fought every day. And my parents, my mother, especially my dad, and me every now and then were like, so what are you going to do? Like, you know, like, first of all, I didn't know anything about Sanpin Ramalaji, so I never spoke yeah. against him because I didn't know. But because my father was in army, he spoke against him because that's what he was taught. Yeah, yeah. And I, I was just like, but for me, it was like, okay, I didn't understand why he has this love all of a sudden. Like, to me, it didn't make sense. And I was just like, what are you going to do? Like, okay, great, you have it. But why are you fighting with us? Why are you trying to, like, now think about, you know, like, why are you looking into these movements that are so dangerous? Like, what are you doing? Right. You know, and I fought with him and he would like the fights that would happen. And I just couldn't figure out why he's sticking up for something that's bigger than him. That doesn't concern us physically. Right. You're right. His, he has no actual connection to it. It's, yeah. But he's finding a connection. Yeah. But it's like, why are you pulling yourself in something so yeah. dangerous. Why are you taking yourself there? We're safe. We're living in our world in our bubble. Like I didn't realize at the time it was a bubble, but like we're safe. We're having a pleasant life. Why? Yeah. You know? And then we're, and then in the end, towards the end, I, he started, he's like, just listen to what I have to say. And then when he started telling me these things, even though my logical, cause I'm still unawakened, my logical mind was rejecting it, but it was touching my soul. You know, my soul was, yep. it was every word, every atrocious thing that's happened, the genocides, the tortures, it was resonating with my soul and I wouldn't show it to him, but then I would go away and I would think about it a lot and it would, it would not leave my brain. It the would seeds like, were planted. The seeds were planted and I, it's like for a long time, I kept putting it under the rug, but it was like, it had to be purged. So then I started looking into, I did my own research. I started, um, you know, then looking at people that are currently active that are, you know, uh, speaking up about the real issues, regardless right. of how dangerous it is. And it was just so inspiring. And at that time, I was also starting to go through some spiritual, you know, um, things like I just felt like Maharaj's presence around me. And I had never even prayed to him. I had never even tried to connect with him. I'm feeling his presence. I'm looking, I'm researching the Nihangs. Yeah. That, that struck a chord, the power, 
you know, the power, the the ruthlessness, the saint quality, the soldier quality, yeah. the, you know, like tamgarified. Yeah. I mean, especially with Nihang's things in general, that rugged independence. Yeah, that That's, rugged. That, that spirit. Yeah, it was, so I was blown away. So I then became obsessed. So what happened so this is what triggered it. It was already in my mind, but I would never speak up against it because I had a lot of Bollywood friends on my Facebook and a lot of friends. But in that time, I still didn't know how Indians that are like still very conditioned, how opposed they were to Sikh rights. I didn't know that. Okay. But I wouldn't speak about it. You know, it's like I'm still learning it myself. So then in 2019, an incident happened that you may know in yeah. Delhi a father, a tempo driver, and the son were beaten mm. by the police officers and they were dragged. And it was like 1984 scenes. Yeah. And then I'm reading the comments. People are like, Sardar ko 84 scene, uh, right. And what triggered me the most was, well, everything about it. The way he fought. Against, in that time, yeah. it, it's like really, he's fighting the institution alone. His son, 15-year-old, has nothing to do with it. Why is he beaten up? Why is right. he dragged? That like, cause I have like a really soft spot for our, like for our girls and boys, but especially for our boys, you know, they were yeah. hunted. So for me, that triggered me to a level that I had never been triggered before. Yeah. I started speaking about it on social media. I didn't care who's reading it. I was like, I was abusing the government. I was taunting. I was just like, yeah. you know, I, I started that. That was like a far, um, um, floodgates were opened yeah. and there was no stopping it after that. That triggered me. And then I saw the reaction from my friends. Quote unquote friends. Mm. Yeah. But these are like actresses, uh, actors, actresses, big mm. video, you know, directors. I saw the reaction. And I was, I'm like thinking, I've known you my whole life. Yeah. And you're publicly saying to me, first of all, Kirpan should be banned. Right. These are the things they're saying and it's triggering me more and more. And, you know, the amount of people that unfriended me, <laughs> which is fine. Because, you know, <laughs> when you step into your true self, you yeah. uh, attract the true tribe. Um that happened and, and I just never stopped after that. I was I became relentless. I was so angry. And then all this other anger came about 84, about 47, about the Sikh Empire. And I really relate myself to Sikh Empire. I feel a strong connection there. So I just went relentless for months. I would just keep going and going and I wouldn't stop. Any chance I would get, I would go into Ravi Singh's comments. And I would fight yeah. all the IT cells. Yeah. I would be for hours like fighting them. You know, I was yeah. so angry. And my mother went through the same phase. Like, the, And I realized there's a whole stages. When you awaken, the first thing you do is you're angry. Yeah. So you want to fight the world. And you're fighting it. And after that, once you've, a few months later, you're like, okay. Um, and it's very exhausting energetically. In the time, you have adrenaline, so you don't, you don't feel it. But after a few months, you're like, okay, I've done it all. What yeah. now? I, my story was different because I managed to piss off a guy who was really politically connected in India. And then, you know, uh, some, I made a post on Nehru. 
Oh. <laughs> it was on Nehru's birthday. Everyone's <laughs> celebrating him. Like, why are we celebrating him? He's a lineage of genocides. Yeah. You know, they have never done anything. So anyway, they got really pissed off because Congress sees Nehru as like God, you know, yeah. as yep. in father of the nation. So I'm like, man, to the father. Okay, maybe cut this now. I don't think I'm cutting any of this. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is this is this is the this is what we're all about. <laughs> this is what we're all about, and the thing is, I still when I do but I yeah. I I still um um I I don't do it as much because now my way of channeling that energy is actually doing something. Yeah, and I think that's an important thing too. Like we got to stop and think. I understand the anger. I understand the passion, um, but you're not going to change minds with that. And. No. Right. So we, in, in order to change minds, in order to bring people along to how we're thinking, this, it's got to be strategic. It's got to be, you know, um, there's got to be a plan. And, you know, some of the things like you, uh, Ravi Singh, Khalsa Aid, um, you know, he's universally seen as somebody who does a lot of work. Now, I know in, in with, with some pro India because he speaks so openly against Indian government that you have that clash, but around the world, people see him and they support him because they see what he's doing. He has see the what do- yeah. Yeah. So um, similarly, I think the more we start doing and the more we grow into our Sikhi, you know, that's the whole thing. Like um, my history is uh, very different than what you kind of went through, but in many ways there's some similarities we we were not into Sikhi at all as a family. We were all cut hair. We were completely Americanized. And you can probably tell that a little bit about me from the way I talk and my personality that very Americanized. But uh, in, then 84 happened. And that kind of, we were paying attention now. Wait, what's happening? What happened there? And then we're listening to the news. Then we're listening to uh, Sanjana Singh Panawali's speeches. Uh, we're starting to follow a little bit. And then we ran into some Gursik people and we learned Bhat and Kirtan. We learned, then eventually we ended up keeping our hair. We eventually ended up taking Amrit and uh, learning the history, learning everything that's going on. But it, it was 84 directly, 84 happened. And it, and it woke us up sitting in the middle of nowhere in America, what was happening in Punjab. We, we saw the 60 Minutes interview, Sanjay Nasik Benalai did with 60 Minutes. And that was so inspiring. You know, just to hear him talk like that and to see the impact he was having, even on an American audience viewing it. So, but again, it was that this fire comes up at first and then you find this identity and you attach yourself to it. But I think ultimately we have to realize that it's a natural process that you have to let it grow naturally. It has to be gurmat oriented. You have yeah. to, you have to know what the guru is saying without interpretations from other people. So you have to learn, you have to start to figure out yourself. What is the guru saying? And what does that mean to me? How does it resonate to me? And then things will start to blossom from the inside out. Yeah, you really have to, you're absolutely right. You have to go inwards because initially I started talking about these, you know, I'm, I'm talking, I'm posting two types of topics all the time, um, political. And the other one is my love for Sikhi. And then I've got people that are confused. They're like, but these like you know and and then for myself it's like well but i'm not ready to i'm not ready yet you know and then out of the blue i got the i felt like i i got the hook i'm on Basaki 
to drop my name, my last name, mm. and adopt God. And Jesus Christ, there was an energetic shift when mm. I took the car, the power that came with it. People treated me differently. Yeah. Like all of a sudden, and I don't want to say it in, in that way because I'm the most humble person as well, but it was almost like I had been put on a pedestal. Like there was this respect that came with the last name, you know, uh, like coming from a Judd family, you're, you're, you want to keep that last name. That's what you're taught. Right. You know, that's right. Like you have no accomplishments. It's fine. Cause you're, it's fine. Cause you still have the Judd last name. Don't worry about the accomplishments. Yeah. Who cares about that? You're a Judd. Yeah. yeah brr, you no, know? Right, but that's the whole thing, right? That's the <laughs> cultural thing. Guru Sahib is yeah. telling us, Hamari Jat Pat Gur Satgur. Ham Sir Gurke. You know, that's, that's what Guru Sahib is saying to us. But we, go hey i'm i'm a jut i'm this you know look at how cool i am look at look at how you know i dress or how i act but guru sab gave us a different way to dress and act exactly so uh you know um so that happened and i have to say ravi singh was my greatest real-time inspirations mm. the way i saw him do what he's doing yeah He's made one guy has made he's in Syria yep. border. Who who's there? Yeah, the amount there. of impact he's helping women, the most like the impact he's made, it literally it drove me to be like, I can also do this in and use my skill set, you know, and but at the same time, he still has the he still maintains his integrity to speak the truth. Yeah. And, you know, he's inspired not only me, so many Sikhs. Oh, yeah, all of us, everywhere. And uh, you know what? Actually, shout out to Ravi Singh. Um, I, I, I'm sure you heard he, he's sick with COVID. Yeah, uh, I've been doing part, literally yeah. dedicated. These are things you don't say out, you know, but dedicated for his family. I've been doing Ardas and part. Yeah, because I'm yeah like, I think all of us are... Yeah, all of us are thinking about him doing Ardas for him. Hope he gets well. We need people like him. You know, it, it, it shouldn't be that we depend on him for this work. But we, yeah. we do, we do. But we and draw inspiration. We should. That's what we should. We should all be getting involved somehow and, and, and drawing that inspiration from him. But uh, look, but even done. his wife is incredible. Even oh, his yeah. Wife. Oh, he can't do what he does without an incredible wife behind him, right? Balke, like, Balke Sandhu, she yeah. is a powerful woman. I, I have her on Facebook and I see her posts as well. Hmm. She doesn't beat around the bush. She's direct. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I get, it's a power couple. It's a yeah. power couple that, you know, we should, like, it's a powerful, sick couple. And it's just amazing. It's like couple goals yeah. all the way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? Well, um, look, we've done over an hour here. Um, you covered a lot of stuff. I mean, it was really <laughs> awesome. It was a great, it was great talking to you actually. Um, and, you know, I'll invite you back on some other time. We could talk about other things. Um, you know, I, I wish you continued success with this project, teaching, so teaching Bitcoin in Punjabi. Um, and then, you know, I just hope that uh, people realize that this kind of information is being put out there. Let's go take advantage of it. I mean, even me, I, I, I'm, I'm watching your video learning about Bitcoin and it's got, and even just today, I learned a lot. I, I think I'm going to buy some Bitcoin. <laughs> this, is the first, this, is the first time actually, this is the first time I've actually thought I'll do it. I've always just kind of heard it and whatever, but uh, sure. hearing how you <laughs> talked about it and thinking about it in the perspective that you did, I like thinking about that Guru Saab's concept of keeping it for the people independent of governments and, and oppressors that can manipulate it and affect your life. 
Absolutely. So, so Absolutely. thank you and, so uh, much. Yeah. And thank you for um, giving me the opportunity, the platform to be able to talk about it. I'm so, I've become so used to speaking Punjabi. It's like English. What's English? <laughs> no, that's great. That is actually really Yeah, no, but that's really great. I do appreciate that you're doing that. Um, a lot of us that I have a lot of American audience and, you know, including Gore Six that maybe don't understand any Punjabi. Um, and my Punjabi is very weak. Um, it's something that I kind of regret that I never really um, took the time. I, I only spoke Punjabi until about five years old. My mom says, as soon as I went to school, it was like a switch turned off, you know? Well, maybe and, I can invite you on my platform and we can test your Punjabi. <laughs> I don't know that I want to do that, but we do make efforts. My wife and I, we, we make efforts to make sure our kids are learning that they're, I already feel like they're doing better than we are, you know? So um, that's important too, but I do appreciate everything you do. Thank you so much for coming on, stepping Thank into you. the Net Nihang's arena. Um, <laughs> hopefully we talk again soon. Absolutely. That would be amazing. Thank you so much, Mandirji. Okay. Bye, Gujika Khalsa. Bye, Gujika Khalsa. Bye, Gujika Khalsa. Bye, Gujika Khalsa.